0: Uh, Today, we're going to take a little diversion from some of the normal topics we talk about. And I thought it might be interesting to uh, describe a recent experience I had to our listeners and uh, challenge them to how uh, such an experience might be meaningful in helping them to direct um, their lives.
1: I like the variety. I like this diversion a little bit, Mark, because it's a a really interesting experience that you're going to share with the listeners today. And I think it's a great reminder to all of us that we have these episodes or these opportunities that come about uh, for not necessarily this same one or one at this level. But many times we're confronted with making tough decisions and uh, who is this best for. Right.
0: Yeah, that's right. The backstory on all of this is that I think for a number of years, I've occasionally been exposed to TED Talks, and I think at one point I even subscribed uh, to TED.com, and uh, they almost daily will send you uh, examples of some of their recent TED Talks, many of which are quite fascinating, and uh, some of which are quite on the... uh, Extraordinary side of things, and some of them are on the side of things of uh, stuff that I wouldn't uh, necessarily espouse to or agree with. And uh, there's no doubt that there have been authors that have made a career uh, based on having given a very popular TED talk that went viral. Uh, My favorite example of that is uh, Brene Brown, who gave an 18 minute TED talk. It did go viral. Uh, That led to her first book, which immediately became a New York Times bestseller and established uh, a rather profound career that she's enjoyed over the last number of years.
1: Kind of shows you the
0: uh, the power of an opportunity like that coming along. That's right. And it shows the power these days of uh, social media and uh, things being able to go, uh, as we say, viral. In other words, people watch, in this case, a TED Talk, and they like it so much that they send it to X amount of people, and that just keeps mushrooming. And before you know it, you've had uh, a million views of uh, a particular talk like that. We can also point to uh, other social media things like tweets or, you know, that kind of um, stuff. So, you know, that's part of the background of in myself knowing that uh, TED Talks are uh, very popular and uh, very much a part of our culture. Uh, They've been a phenomenon for a long time. And uh, I guess there was a a part of me that always wondered about uh, whether or not there would be an opportunity for me uh, to do a TED Talk at some point. Uh, Debbie had even encouraged me at points to check out, you know, what it What does
1: it take to qualify for such an invitation?
0: Right. And uh, we found out a variety of things. Uh, These days, there's so many different groups around the country and around the world that host uh, TED conferences uh, of various kinds, various subject matters. And uh, there's just a lot of it going on uh, in a lot of different states, a lot of different countries. And it even became apparent that uh, you can host your own TED conference uh, if you meet certain criteria. So all of that is, is background. I don't know, about three months ago now, I got an email from uh, a a woman in South Carolina who said that she was the chairman of the TEDx conference uh, that they were putting on in Columbia, South Carolina. TEDx meaning that it was uh, primarily a youth conference and that I was going to be asked to give a a TED talk to uh, the youth and so forth. And she didn't say who had recommended me, but there evidently had been someone who had recommended me for that. So, you know, when I got that invitation, uh, as you remember, I it was kind of exciting that uh, uh, something that I'd thought about for such a long time uh, might actually be happening. And then you get to call yourself a TED speaker. That's kind of a, a designation of some distinction, I guess. So I agreed to participate in the process and what I what I came to find out is that um, there is quite a lengthy application process. In other words, I had been recommended to do one, and they invited me to submit uh, a topic or submit an outline of that topic. And so I decided that one of the things that I'm really interested in these days is working with youth in terms of helping young people uh, – particularly young, young boys and young teenagers and young men, uh, develop a vision for healthy sexualities. Developing a vision for healthy sexuality is something we talk, around, talk about around here all the time. Uh, so that was my title, Creating a Vision for Healthy Sexuality. And I submitted an outline and came to find out that um, this particular conference, they were only allowing the uh, speakers to speak for 12 minutes. I have not given a 12-minute speech in memory. I I don't do that. I mean, to me, 12 minutes is not even an introduction. I,
1: I was just about to say I've seen it take you longer than 12 minutes to introduce yourself at the beginning of a session. So uh, that would be quite challenging to edit yourself uh, mm-hmm. as powerful as your message is, and I'm here to tell you that that is always the case, but to be told... Deliver a memorable moving presentation, and oh, by the way, you have 12 minutes, go!
0: (laughs) Yeah, right. So, uh, so I uh, submitted the outline, and the outline was accepted, and so now I get to speak at this TED conference. And uh, I came to find out that uh, there was a lot more to it than what I would have thought. I, you know, at that point, I thought. Uh, Well, I'm going to come up with 12 minutes, and I'm going to edit myself, and I'm going to... Book your
1: airline reservations. uh,
0: You're ready to go. Yeah. In fact, we did book our airline reservations. We did book our hotel reservations, because this is not something that they pay a lot of money for. They had an honorarium of $300 for your your airplane reservation or your flight, and uh, up to that, you're kind of on your own. So they're thinking I'm sure is, you know, this is such a big deal, such an honor, such a marketing possibility uh, for you that, you know, you, sh- you should be willing to, you know, go to whatever expense to get there and do it.
1: Well, the, the story gets more and more interesting as we go from there. Why don't we take our break right now? Because I think you have set the stage beautifully for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for those, I myself was not aware until you were invited to what a TED talk. He is, and that's T-E-D. For those that are going, what is Mark saying there? He's saying TED Talk. And um, so uh, it was uh, quite the learning experience. Uh, Let's take our break right now, and when we come back, we'll have the trigger of the week, and you can continue your story uh, about this TED Talk experience. You're listening to Dr. Mark Laser, and this is the Men of Valor program. Fickle my heart and how woozy my eyes I struggle to find any truth in your lies. And now my heart stumbles on things I don't know Do you struggle with the use of pornography? Faithful and True is a Christian-based counseling center specializing in the treatment of sexual addiction and compulsive behavior issues. Our well-trained staff has the highest levels of clinical expertise combined with personal experience to understand and effectively treat your sexual addiction. We have a proven track record for helping men who are seeking a transformation in their lives. Our Men of Valor three-day intensive workshops, led by Dr. Mark Laser and Dr. Greg Miller, are the most effective and affordable treatment program in the country. Our workshop alumni rate our workshops as life-changing. We also offer workshops for spouses and couples. If you're ready to make a change in your life and are seeking a treatment program provided by the top Christian experts in the sexual addiction field, visit us today at faithfulandtrue.com to learn more. That's faithfulandtrue.com.
0: Time now for the Trigger of the Week. Trigger of the Week, as everybody knows at this point, is oftentimes inspired by the experience of others. And uh, I was just talking uh, before coming in here to one of my friends actually now, and uh, he was saying that yesterday was a particularly triggering day for him. And when I asked him to explain that in terms of what that was about, he said, well, yesterday was the anniversary of the death of uh, our twins. He and his wife had twins uh, and they were born uh, prematurely and uh, were not able to survive. But they were alive when they were born and uh, he and his wife got a chance to hold them and literally uh, one of them in each of their arms uh, uh, died You know, uh, while they were holding them. That's obviously a very traumatic experience in and of itself and you know something that is going to require a significant amount of grieving, but that was a number of years ago, and he was saying that every year now on the anniversary of their death, uh, which is in fact their birthday, he and his he and his wife both are triggered and in his case, given the fact that he's a person in recovery, uh he was saying that it's such a profound trigger that he needs to make sure that he works his plan and he he wanted to make sure that all the all the men in his accountability network were aware of the significance of uh, yesterday, the anniversary, and that he went to special effort to uh, talk to some of those guys. And then he and his wife uh, uh, visited the the grave. They actually buried these twins, and they went to the gravesite. Um, so as we were talking, it, it just became clear that you know there are many of us who have had significant uh, losses in our life. And, uh, it could be the death of a father or a mother, uh, grandparents in some cases, uh, brothers, sisters, um, our, our own children and, and, you know, the really, you know, tragic situations. And, um, I notice, for example, that every year, uh, the anniversary of the uh, death of my father, uh, is something that kind of hits me. And, uh, We know that there's stuff about the anniversary, it's the same time of year, the temperatures are the same, the color of the leaves are the same, or whatever it is, and there's always stuff that's going to bring up the fact that it's that time of year. And what we're saying with this being the trigger of the week is that it makes a person uh, emotionally more vulnerable uh, to want their old drug. So uh, when we have those anniversaries uh, and they are triggering uh, we need to be sure that uh, on that given day, for sure, uh, we're really upping the energy for our program.
1: Well, that's a powerful trigger, Mark. I mean, thank you for sharing that one with him, mm-hmm. with us. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that we've got many out there, both men and women, that can relate to that particular trigger. Let's return our listeners to today's show, in which you have uh, started the show by setting the table mm-hmm. with a recent invitation that you received to be a TED Talk presenter.
0: Right. Well, so what happened next in the process is they told me that I needed to uh, have a coach. And I said, what kind of coach? And they said, a speaking coach. And at that point, I'll have to, I'll have to be honest. I'll have to own the fact that I got really narcissistic. I, <laughs> I, I,
1: I didn't see this coming at all. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, and I literally said uh, to the person that was telling me this, uh, I haven't had a speaking coach since I took second in the national debate tournament when I was a sophomore in college. And I was emphasizing the point that I was second in the national debate tournament. That was the narcissistic part. Oh, did uh, I mention that? Oh, did, uh, let me mention that again. Uh, and, and, uh,
1: and following the 5,000 speeches that I have delivered since then? Yeah, well, I did get to that eventually also. Uh,
0: I have a few numbers to run by you uh, here. Yeah, uh, I think what I actually said, uh, I've spoken in all but two states, and I, I've spoken on all, all six habitable continents, and I'm waiting for the invitation from Antarctica. Uh, the U.S. Navy probably needs me down that'll there. That'll be a cold day. Well, yeah. No, that's no that'll be a cold day is right. So anyway, I said, you know, what is the deal with that? And they said, no, it's just a TED rule, you know, that you have to have a speaking coach. And uh, this person said, even... Brene Brown, uh, the person we were talking about earlier, if uh, she were to do a TED Talk today, she would have to have a speaking coach. I said, after all the stuff that she 's done and all the speaking that she she does, uh, said absolutely that 's just part of the process. So I was assigned a coach, and the guy turned out to be a very nice guy in his thirties i 'm thinking, although I only ever talked to him by phone and to be honest. Uh, uh, he had a lot of great things to uh, to say and, and to help me with because he was familiar with grabbing an audience's attention in, in uh, like one minute. A short amount of time. A yeah. short amount of time. And then how to uh, make your main points in a short amount of time and get to your conclusion in a short amount of time. Um, he really had some great ideas about how to do that. And so we started working on uh, a script and I haven't spoken from a script uh in probably 40 plus years and uh part of part of that was because of my training doing you know the national debate circuit I mean that's totally extemporaneous speaking and I just have never used a script since so I was a little resistant to that but nevertheless I came up with a script and uh um he began to tweak it so that it was more engaging early on and uh, more understandable throughout and uh, um, I I came to the, the point where I said you know I've probably gotten a little lazy after 40 years of doing this that you know maybe it's not a bad idea to get a fresh younger mind involved in, you know what I do and maybe I've been taking too many things for granted and I, I, I at that point totally bought in and I was feeling very good about it but then what happened was the script starting to, started to get uh, reviewed by the larger committee, uh, and it was a very sensitive topic. Uh, one of the things they said is, uh, we have to make sure that your speech is inclusive, uh, which is a word that scares the heck out of me uh, uh, in terms of what does that exactly mean. And here, this speech is taking place in South Carolina, and we all know that you know North and South Carolina's had their problems with you know the transgender issue and the bathroom That's issue true, and same. so you know I said to myself, they're being extra specially careful and uh, not wanting to offend any segment of the population so that was my first uh a theological check, and then they said, uh, you have to not offend any religion and and not only that but you know we want you to include." If you're trying to define healthy sexuality, which was part of the script, you need to include examples from other religions. You know, Muslim, uh, Hindu, Buddhist, uh, Judaism, which is not hard as a Christian. uh, You know that kind of thing. So there was like five major world religions that needed to be included. And uh, given the fact that in graduate school I did have basically a master's degree in world religions, that was not hard to do. I could come up with universal truths that would be consistent with biblical teaching uh, from some of the other world religions. But I'm feeling myself sliding more and more in the direction of uh, just not being myself. So when I submitted that revised script, uh, they were happy, you know, with the references. Uh, but then there was a member of the committee who was a self-professed atheist. And uh, Oop, we left that group out. We didn't left, we? We, <laughs> we left that group out. So uh, she said, you know, why don't you think of one of the great philosophers who was an atheist and uh, include a quote by him or her, she said. So now I'm thinking, Lord, you know, I don't know what's going on here. But strangely enough, in college, I was a philosophy major. So I did come up with a, a philosoph- an 18th century philosopher who did talk about universal truths. And so, you know, I included that and now this this speech is just getting away from me and the the last thing was they they wanted me not to offend any of the audience who had uh, been practicing uh, some kind of uh, out of marriage uh, sexuality so you know my definition of healthy sexuality is that it's the expression of the emotional and spiritual connection between a husband and wife well they didn't want me talking about it being a husband and wife. They wanted me talking about it being two partners. They wanted me talking about the fact that there are those people that don't believe in monogamy. They wanted me to academically prove, which I did. I sent them uh, a list of 250 research articles, all proving that monogamy leads to the greatest amount of marital satisfaction. I was I was engaged in this, and I was almost like debating with yeah, them. You were
1: challenged by their...
0: yeah. I was, and I was taking it on as an academic exercise to combat everything that they were wanting me to do. But the last straw came when the committee, uh, one of the members of the committee, uh, and this is like Monday before I'm supposed to do this speech down in South Carolina on Saturday. He said, I think it would be best, Dr. Laser, if you don't start any of your sentences with the words, I believe. And I saw that email that was an email and i said you have got to be kidding me i've seen any number of ted talks where people talk about what they believe in you know and i wrote him back and i said that he said yes that is true but that's generally about scientific topics or that's about this or that you know this topic uh is so sensitive uh that we just think it would be best for you not to try to insert in any way your own personal beliefs and so uh I didn't even respond to that, um, but I was obviously uh, wrestling with this, and uh, that night uh, and of course I, I was talking to Debbie about this the whole time, and uh, at two thirty in the morning, i uh woke up, just woke up just you know i was my my spirit was just wrestling with this, and I woke up and i what, I do what I normally do, I go downstairs, I'm going to get a drink of water, I'm going to you know restart myself, and then go back to bed. But there was Debbie sitting in our family room, and she had woken up like one minute before I had, and she had uh, the same check in her spirit. And so now we're sitting in our family room, and uh, we had one of the more significant spiritual conversations that I think we have ever had, um, but it was basically around the, the fact, she's she's and she has read the script as it's been revised along the way, and she said, you know, I'm looking at this script, Mark, and this is not you. This is... This is, I don't even recognize this stuff. I mean, um, this is something you would have done back in graduate school. I mean, this is, this is not you, this is not your voice, and this is certainly not your message.
1: It certainly was not authentic.
0: It certainly wasn't. So, so we're both sitting there, and we're just realizing, uh, now I'm, I've got to face for just a couple of minutes you know, my own codependency. You know, that I don't like disappointing people. Right. And I didn't want to disappoint the TED Talk people. And I didn't want to disappoint or, you know, I'd already been publicized that I was going to be there and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, but I said, no, I mean, this, I don't care what rigmarole they have to go through to either replace me. I mean, it's only replacing 12 minutes in a whole given day. So uh, in short, what happened then when we finally did get to work that morning is I wrote the TED Talk people and uh, I said, I'm withdrawing. I, I am not coming and I'm canceling my flights and uh, I'm not coming. And I was affirming, I said, I'd like to affirm my coach. Uh, I think he taught me some great things. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm sorry that we weren't able to reach a place where, uh, I felt comfortable with what I was saying. And strangely enough, the only one who responded to that was my coach. And he said, Mark, I just think, um, you made a, actually a good decision for yourself. You know, I think the committee got carried away here and, uh, they got a little over-focused on this, and uh, um, I, I, I affirm what you're doing. Uh, if you'd still like to come, we'd still love to have you. But at this point, I don't think there's any way for you to edit this thing in a way that you would be comfortable with. So, uh, so that was affirming, but other than that, I didn't hear from the TED Talk people, which was also a sign to me that there was something not right about it. If they don't even have the courtesy to respond to something of that significance. Uh, so uh, that's the story. Now the, the the reason we put it on the radio show here is that I do think in recovery there are going to be times when we are asked to do things or we're challenged by our secular culture and uh, we have to hold firm. We have to hold fast. We have to believe in what we believe in, which is a Christ-centered faith in the sanctity of, of marriage and of uh, what we believe is healthy sexuality. I mean, what are we men doing if we're not pursuing a vision of God's design for healthy sexuality? So, um, and I do believe there will be times that come along in our culture where we are going to be profoundly challenged by that, sometimes in an effort to be popular. So my last point, you always ask me to summarize things. You know, let's all of us in recovery not worry about being popular. Let's not worry about pleasing other people. Let's worry about pleasing God.
1: This story, as it happened, r- reminded me of something else that you and I frequently talk about, and that is us. Uh, it's so easy to get pulled in, drawn in, and consumed by a process, especially when it's kind of got an exciting uh, climax to, to the opportunity, and yet realizing the whole time, as you and I like to say, God has a plan.
0: That's right and it always has a plan
1: and and i think that by the time that you went through the entire process and all of the revisions all of the changes all of the sleepless nights you fi- your eyes were finally also open to god doesn't want me to do this right this this is not in the cards right. and and i think the lesson learned by you personally and who knows the influence of your withdrawing has on that committee at TED Talks. Maybe their eyes are a little more open to uh, letting the truth be spoken. And you, Mark, each time you speak, the truth is spoken.
0: I appreciate that, Randy, and I do believe God has great things. Uh, It was the following day after I'd withdrawn that I got an email from an editor at a large Christian publisher about the possibility of writing a book for youth.
1: There you go. You've been listening to Dr. Mark Laser. I'm Randy Everett, your co-host. And we thank you for joining us again today on the Men of Valor program. We hope that this coming week is a week that's filled with many blessings and great vision.
0: You've been listening to the Men of Valor program with Dr. Mark Laser. For information about this program or to learn more about Faithful and True, visit us at faithfulandtrue.com. That's faithfulandtrue.com.